Testing the head mic, one, two, great. It's a delight to see you, to see your faces. This is a sacred time. I know that you get to sit and listen, but you are active listeners. The Word of God is living and active and sharp, and it is meant to cut you, but that's a good thing, to move you toward repentance and toward faith and toward joy and toward health. And so we give ourselves to that in this time. We've been preaching through the biblical book of Hebrews. We're pausing on that today just to do sort of a standalone thing here. We're actually calling it um, guts or having hard conversations. Over the summer, we preached through a field guide of what it means to be Jesus' people together. And we worked very slowly through the 20th chapter of the biblical book of Acts together and said, let's look like that. Let's do that. Let's give ourselves to that. The one that we didn't get to in that was the one that I spoke on down in Richmond. And so I'm going to do that for you this morning, just more abbreviated. And when I was speaking there, I was going right at the heart of pastors or church planters. And so today, I'm going right at the heart of men and women who are members of the life of the church with me, with us. So let's pray and we'll jump into it. Father, be gracious to us. Let the words of this one verse of scripture jump this morning and be seared into our souls and help us to give us to this. Would you hear my prayer for that and answer? Amen. All right, here was the big idea that they asked me to speak on down there. It was that you cannot do the work of church planting or gospel ministry, or in our case, you cannot be the church together without leaning into some hard conversations, without sometimes saying and hearing the hard thing. That was my big idea. All right, if someone came to you and said, hey, listen, I don't like basements, I do not do wrenches, and I do not like the smell of poop on my hands. What would you say to them? Don't be a plumber, right? If someone said to you, hey, I do not do Mark Wahlberg movies, what would you say to them? Don't go to Cruz's house on movie night, right? We, we pulled off the trifecta one time, the shooter, the fighter, and the departed, back to back to back. So don't come to my house if you don't do Mark Wahlberg movies. If someone said to you, I do not want to live in a pretentious and vain city where the baseball team can never win the big game, what would you say to them? Don't move to Los Angeles. Miami. All right, there's a couple of them. My point was, if someone says to you, hey, I don't do hard conversations, what would you say to them? Don't plant a church. Or in our case, don't give yourself to a life of a super tight community. Every one of those things requires having hard conversations. Now here's the problem. Most of us do not do that very well. One of the most helpful grids that we work through with future leaders in the life of our church and our family of churches is this one on conflict styles. On the left is how highly you value relationships, on the bottom is 
how highly you value goals. And when I look at this grid, I think there are one, two, three, four ways, bad ways to approach having hard conversations. So one way is to be a winner. Thankfully, not too many of us are wired this way because this is that small minority of people who love hard conversations. They would be good with 365 hard conversations a day. They are not afraid of them at all. I told him down in Richmond, this is the church planter where when you ask him how it's going, he goes, it's going unbelievable. And so you say, okay, like did you get a big gift, baptisms, conversions, and then he goes, no, but we put three people under church discipline this month. I loved it. And I'm rebuking the drummer next because he's not playing with enough energy. That's the winner. Relationship is meaningless. I just want to accomplish the task. Okay, if that's you in here, let's talk later because I have some other Bible verses for you that we need you to hear. Uh, But most of us are not that way. Opposite of that are the walkers. These are the folks that if there is a hard conversation coming 50 miles away, they see it, and what do they do? They bounce. They're out. This is me when Coldplay comes on the radio. Boom, I'm out. They don't value the relationships or the goals as much as staying out of a hard conversation. I will give up on the person. I will give up on the church plant. I am not saying the hard thing. Usually there's not too many folks like that who would plant churches because you wouldn't get 10 minutes into it without bailing. Then we spent our time over here, and this is where I want to spend my time with you. Yielders, that's a lot of us. Relationship is very important to us. We really care about people. And so we are willing to have the hard conversation, but we will never be the one to initiate it. And when we get there, we always ride shotgun. We let the other person drive because we know the conversation has to happen. But at the end, as long as we're still BFFs, as long as you still like me, as long as the relationship is intact, I'm good. There are not too many yielders who plant churches because it's difficult to lead well while constantly yielding. But that certainly would be a lot of people in the life of a church. And then in the middle is probably most of us. Relationships actually matter to us. We care about people. Goals matter to us. We want to accomplish things and get them done. And so we are willing to have the hard conversation. We will even lean in and say the hard thing, but we will do it as fast as possible. And then right away be like, are you good? I'm good. Let's move on. In other words, it's hard conversations in 65 seconds or less. Two springs ago, we had a major mouse problem in the cruise house. We had a total ratatouille thing going on in the basement. There must have been a hundred different mice in our crawl space. Remy, Emil, they were all down there. (laughs) So went to Home Depot, spent a hundred bucks on the sticky traps, got a big bucket of uh, Teddy's peanut butter, and every night we would put some peanut butter in the middle of the trap, hide it in the corner, and for a month straight, caught a mouse, caught a mouse, caught a mouse, caught a mouse. Uh, I am not an animal person in general, so we don't have pets, no dogs, 
no cats, no hedgehogs. That was the African pet when I visited the Luces. They had a little hedgehog. No fish. I didn't even like watching Seabiscuit or Free Willy. I'm just not an animal person. And I totally don't do mice. But I was usually the first person up in the morning, and so I would inch into the kitchen and be like, please no, please no, please no. And there it was. This is how I disposed of those mice. I would shrink back with my shoulders, but lean in with my hand and just like maybe grab the edge of the trap. And then every time I got the edge, you know what would happen? The little mouse would wiggle, ah! and then turn to me like his little mouse head. And you know those giant mouse eyes? It's just all brown pupil. Please, mister, I don't want to starve in your trash can. And I would lift it up because I had to, and I would not look, and I would chuck it in the trash can as fast as I could and run it downstairs. Does everybody feel that? That's how the compromiser deals with the hard conversation. We know we have to do it. We'll say it real fast, but I don't want to lean in and see good fruit come of this. I just want to say we did it, and it's over, and let's move on. Here's the problem with all of these on the left side over here. Whenever we shrink back from saying the hard thing or having the hard conversation, whether by avoiding it altogether or just trying to move through it as quick as possible, we are failing to love people well. We're failing to love them well. And we are closing the door on the work that the Spirit wants to do in the life of the church community. We are failing to love and we're shutting the door on good spirit work that needs to happen. So if you're going to be a member of a good church or if you're going to plan a church, is what I was telling them, that this has to be a big idea at the center of your heart, I won't shrink back from having the hard conversation. I will lean in. I won't shrink back when it's time to have a hard conversation. In love, I will lean in. Okay, this is exactly how Jesus' apostle Paul planted the churches that he did. What Katie read to you before was from a speech that he was giving where he is rewinding what it looked like for him to do gospel ministry in a city like Melrose. And one of the things that he said to them was, this is how you know my work among you was faithful. I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And then he said it very similar later on. She didn't read it, but he says it a second time. I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, one mark of my love for you and my willingness to see beautiful things happen in this church was I leaned in to the hard conversation. Okay, let's work those words together this morning. It starts here. I did not shrink back. This word means to draw back or pull back or to hold something back. It was used in this day of a stowaway or hiding something or concealing something. The idea is there is this thing that needs to be shown or said, but I'm going to put it in my pocket. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to shrink back from showing it or saying it. 
for him to insist twice in this short speech that this was a mark of his faithfulness is communicating to us that he had the opportunity to shrink back and not just the opportunity, but the temptation, the allure was there to shrink back. Why else would he say this is double noteworthy? I didn't shrink back. Do I have to say to Grace when I'm on my way to work in the morning, hey, I just watched some NBA highlights. Do I have to like make a point of saying that to her? No, that was easy. Of course I did. If I call her in the afternoon, do I have to say, hey, I grabbed a sub from New Deal for lunch? No, it's like five bucks chicken parmesan. It weighs like seven pounds at New Deal on Broadway and Revere. I don't have to say that. That's easy. What about when I'm on my way out on a 10-degree morning? Do I have to say to her, hey, I took the recycling down? Absolutely, I need to say that to her. That is a wicked shocker in my house right there, (laughs) that I would take the recycling down on a 10-degree day. In fact, I'll tell her like three different times on my way out just to make sure that she knows what was unlikely to happen has actually happened. That's the spirit behind these words. I'm going to tell you twice in a short, short speech that I did not chicken out on this. The temptation is strong not to do this. Okay, let's talk about why that is. Why is having the hard conversation not something that we tend to lean into? This is my brokenness and my punkiness and my mess And then you can intersect this with your own reasons for shrinking back. So here was the ones I gave the guys down in Richmond. If I say the hard thing, they won't like me anymore. (laughs) It is unbelievable in the American heart how desperately we want to be liked. And it is exponentially true of pastors. We are terrified that our Amazon ratings won't be five across the board terrified that you would meet someone and the first thing they wouldn't say is, hey, I know Matt Cruz and he's such a nice guy. We're up at night afraid that somebody in the city of Melrose or Saugus or Stoneham might not want to opt into our fan club if we had one and it paralyzes us from saying the hard thing. If we do ever inch into saying the hard thing, We make it the biggest compliment sandwich ever. You know what that is? Chandler from Friends. So we got a piece of bread this big, right, where we tell people, I love you, I'm for you, I affirm you, you have the Imago day on you. 20 minutes of exegesis of Genesis 1, right? And then it's like a half a slice of salami in the middle, right? But I got to say this hard thing super fast. And then the other slice of bread. But I love you and I affirm you and you have the Imago Day on you. That's the closest that we get to a hard conversation because we're terrified that somebody out there might not like us. And so we shrink back. Here's another one. If I say the hard thing, I might get hurt. Uh, about a month ago, I had a Woburn cop take a swing at me. Let that sit there for a second and see what races through your mind. Not on the street, not at Kmart or something, on a basketball court. We were playing pickup at the Reading Y, and uh, 
this guy was playing like it was the final four. You know those guys? I'm like, where are the cameras and the scouts? This is the Reading Y. Anyway, I boxed him out, and, you know, I'm old, so I hooked his arm. That's an old trick, you know, to make sure he couldn't reach up and get it. And then I was lifting to unhook our arms, and he took that as an elbow. And so he just hauled off and fired one at me and started screaming at the top of his lungs, if you ever, ever throw an elbow at me again. And so then I'm like getting back on his case. I'm like, are you out of your mind? Middle of the court, I go, I'm 44 years old. You're 30 pounds heavier than me. I got four kids and two jobs. I'm not throwing elbows, you psycho. So we got into this. Do you know that I did not box that guy out for the rest of the night? I didn't even go on that side of the key. Why? Not worth it. Totally not worth it. This is how we get with hard conversations. Everybody knows they've got very sharp edges, right? Sometimes they go bad, and sometimes it doesn't feel like cowardice to not have a hard conversation. It just feels like self-preservation. I know we have to talk to him about sexual sin. I know we have to talk to her about her impossible schedule. I know we've got to sit with them because we haven't seen them in 90 days. But I really don't feel like an elbow to the head right now. And so we shrink back. That might be you. Here's another one. If I say the hard thing, I might be here a while. So I am perpetually in a rush, and you are discipling me and helping me to slow down, and and you've done beautifully at that over the years. But I like things that can be done kind of fast. Let me know how much time I'm committing. I don't really watch entire seasons of TV shows like you people do. I didn't even get through the first season of Breaking Bad because it was just taking too long. Don't, don't judge me. I know you made it all the way through all seven seasons. Julius 13, she said to me the other day, Dad, will you watch Titanic with me? I was like, I don't know, babe. That's a big commitment. They don't even hit the iceberg until like two hours into the movie. I don't know if I have the time. Hard conversations are the same exact way, right? They can take way more than a half hour. Sometimes they have sequels. And whatever the the word is for a sequel after a sequel, like Rocky 3, hard conversation 3. Sometimes you're going to have to make a sacrifice of your schedule to love someone to the bottom of a hard conversation, and you go, nah. And so I'm going to shrink back from that one. All right, how about this? If I say the hard thing, they will leave the church. So down there, there's a, in Richmond, there's a lot of churches, three, four, five, 10, 20 times bigger than our church. Um, and uh, I told them if they were here, they would fall in love with you guys immediately, but they might be surprised how few of us there are in a Bostonian church like ours. And transience is some of that, and the aggressive church planting that we have done is another factor in that. Um, But it is very easy for a pastor of a church like ours to get really scared about people leaving the church. Uh, We had Matt Younger from the Dallas Village Northway campus spend a week with us uh, last year. And one of the things he did was he sat in on a pastor elder meeting with us. And uh, we were literally talking about the hundred of you who are committed to the life and the mission of our church 
we can fit all of your names on one side of an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. I was like, here it is. These are the people that we are discipling and on mission with. And his mind was blown. And he said to me, I have no framework for this whole meeting or this whole conversation. We have 3,500 people who go to our church. We have a couple of hundred people who are new every Sunday and who leave every Sunday. This is wild. And then I said, you just blew my mind, (laughs) and I have no frame of reference for what you just said. If my church was that big, I would be dropping truth bombs like Kim Jong-il, just boom, (laughs) boom, boom. 3,500 people. So 10 of you leave. I got 3,490 people left. But what about when three, four families make up 25% of the giving of someone's church? What about when a dozen people are carrying the entire load of someone's church plant? What happens then? Oh man, it becomes super hard to shrink back and say, I can't lean in here and say the hard thing. It might cost us the church. That's a real temptation for a church planner or a small church pastor, and so we shrink back. All right, one more. If I say the hard thing, I might get it wrong. So I don't have that beautiful spiritual gift of discernment. Some of you do, and it is the most precious thing in the world. Um, You'll see someone brand new, first day, never talked to them before from across the room, and you'll know what to say. Or you'll say, oh, this person's going to be great. Or, oh, they're going to be trouble. I'm like, how do you know that? You have never been within 30 yards of them before. And then they prove it to be exactly right. I don't have that gift. I am more of an, I'm going to try it and fail and learn and then try it again and fail and learn some more. And then eventually I'll get this right. That has paralyzed me about leaning in with you on hard conversations. What if I get this wrong? What, what if I'm not right? I'm going to embarrass myself. I might hurt someone unnecessarily. Maybe I'll let someone else do the work of having the hard conversation. We want to put it on someone else's job description. And so we shrink back. Right, you could run through what resonated with you and what we could add to the screen if, if it was yours. But I want you to see that underneath all of this is fear. That's what's underneath this. And we know that the the scripture clearly teaches that perfect love casts out fear. We are scared, so we shrink back. But the gospel alive in our church would say, no, I'm not scared. I have love, so I'm going to lean in. This verse of scripture has thrown up in a whole new vista for me personally that I don't have to shrink back from loving you by saying hard things. This is actually a possibility for me to get to. All right, here's how he says it. I did not shrink back from declaring to you. Right. So down there I told the pastors in the room that the center of your ministry is the ministry of the word. But last time I preached here, we saw that that was true for everyone in this church. We are commanded by the Spirit to exhort one another. 
So every man and every woman in this church has the ministry of the word in the life of Seven Mile Road. We are to say gospel things to each other. In the pulpit, in gospel communities, in coffee shops, in staff meetings, in weddings, in funerals, in hospitals, in season and out of season, we are to say gospel things to each other. And often, gospel things are hard things. If you were to boil faithful gospel preaching all the way down to a single word, what would that word be? If you had all the words in English and you had to say, this is the first one, this is the hinge that all faithful gospel saying begins with, it would be the very hard word, repent. That would be it. Jesus kicked the gate open on his ministry, and what was the first word out of his mouth? Mark chapter 1. Repent. The apostles followed suit. Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches gospel, he says, repent. Flee from this generation. Take hold of the grace of God. All Christian ministers ever who have been faithful have looked at their people and said, God is gracious, and he calls you to turn from your sin repent. You know that this is the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. When Martin Luther walked up to the door of the Wittenberg church and nailed his 95 theses, the first one said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the entire life of believers would be one of repentance. It's perfectly right. That means that we need Hard words all the way down, all the way through to heaven. We need to be called to repent. And Paul says, this is what I did. I did not shrink to declare to you hard words that would be helpful to you. Do you believe him? I've always been convinced that if you took a pack of highlighters and you started at the letter to the Romans, and you finished at the letter to Philemon, and you were just highlighting the hard things that the Apostle Paul wrote and said to his people, your Bible would look like South Beach. Have you ever been there before? Everything is what color? Neon, pink, yellow, green, everything looks like Dunkin' Donuts. It's just wild across the whole strip. Your ESV would look like that because he never stops saying the hard thing. He never shrinks back from saying the hard thing over and over again. Why? Why would he live this way among his people? Did he have a death wish? Was that it? Did he just want to show people that, you know, he had guts to boost his ego? I'm the tough guy. What was driving him to live this way? Here it is. He loved his people. He loved the Romans, the Corinthians, the Thessalonians, the Philippians, the Ephesians, the Colossians. He loved Timothy. He loved Titus. He loved Philemon. And it was that love that he was all in on their holiness and their maturity and their thriving and their joy that he would do anything. Say 
anything that would help get them there. And so here's the last part of our verse. He says, I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything, anything that was profitable. Profitable means beneficial, advantageous. My favorite synonym is the easiest one, helpful, helpful. In other words, Paul was convinced that hard words are helpful. We know this to be true, right? How many of us can say without hesitation, without hesitation, that some of the hardest conversations that we have had have also been some of the most helpful? You know it if you think about it. I have never been better loved and better served by the men and the women in this church than when they chose to not shrink back, but to lean in and to say to me some hard things. I was in Brent's car one time. We were just driving down Highland Avenue in Malden. And like out of nowhere, and I don't know if he was like getting the guts up to say it or what, but like out of nowhere, we're talking about the Red Sox, and all of a sudden he says, Matt, you don't listen to people. They're talking to you, and your brain is already like 50 miles down the road, and it makes them feel like trash. Got very quiet in the Ford Taurus at that point. It's immensely helpful and needed hard conversation that we had in that car. Why? Because Brent loved me, and that was worth more to him than being scared to say the hard thing. Last May, I spoke at a big, cool, sexy church in, uh, I won't say where, but around here. And I am not only like the anti-cool, sexy person, right? I finally bought a new shirt because I had to preach down in Richmond. I was like, it's been three straight years with the same black shirt. Let me get one with a little print on it. (laughs) I'm also a punk. And so I stepped up to speak, and they had these bright lights. And the first thing I did was make some kind of sarcastic Bostonian comment about the sexy bright lights. It's ridiculous. Joey called me that week and said, hey, you can't step into someone else's pulpit and slam on their setup. What's wrong with you? And he was totally right. And we had a hard conversation. And I ended up reaching out to that pastor and saying, I need you to forgive me. I mean, I I preached, I hope, humbly and holy, but I started with an attitude, and I'm sorry about that. Joey loved me and helped me. It was profitable to me. Um, I passed it with a brother named Kalus for five years, and he had x-ray vision into your soul, um, and for some reason was never afraid to say the hard thing. And one time we were just walking in the light together, and he said to me, I don't know if we're talking right now about you having sex or you loving your wife. You need to tell me which it is. And that was very hard to hear. And my selfishness was like brought and just like dropped on the table. And we had to press into that conversation. Now, do you think he wanted to ask that question or make that statement to me in that setting? No. You think it would have been easier to shrink back? Absolutely. Did he help me and our marriage and this church by effect? Yes. He did not shrink back from declaring to me what he thought would be super helpful. 
we're working on a podcast uh, with some of our women to just get out there some of the ways that the Lord has been blessing you as you have been mobilized to make disciples. And so we did our first take the other day, and we were like, how, was that? how did that sound? How was it? And very graciously, they said, it was good, except the part where you were preaching at the beginning, and that's not really what we're going for. Was that easy to say? No. Was it helpful? Unbelievably. The hardest thing for a preacher to do is to turn off the preaching switch, right? You do it with your wife, you do it with your kids, you do it with the cashier at Dunkin' Donuts. It's just wired into you. I need to be told in that setting, in my home, with my kids, I love that you're a preacher. You need to pull that back right now. We're going for something different. If no one ever says that to me, then I'm not helped, and I don't serve you better. You feel that? I think I got one more. Yes. Just last week, Justin told me, (laughs) pastor in our family of churches, you are never happy. You have no idea how to celebrate a win ever. Granted, I am wired that way, right? I'm a total perfectionist. I would have totally been a Puritan. I would have been on the Mayflower. I would have been rowing that thing saying, we're going to the other shore. We can do this better. Everything with me is always, we could have done it better. We should have done it better. Why didn't we do it better? You stink. You should have done that better. That's my wiring. And he sat me down and said, I get it, but it's hurting the team right now because you never celebrate anything, and I need you to learn how to do that. Was that a fun conversation? (laughs) No. Did I like him like half stepping on my sin and half just stepping on my wiring and my personality? No. Did we have to hash out what that meant? Yes. Did it take a little while? Yes. Did it help me? It helped me to serve you better. He did not shrink back from declaring to me something that was immensely profitable. And I've tried to make this a mark of my ministry, our ministry, I think many of you can say there was this time when Matt didn't want to, but he looked at me, and we had a hard conversation, and it helped a lot. We need to be willing to live that way together. All right, let's say we were going to go for that, and health was going to be there. What are the marks of doing that well together? I'll hit you with these three things in succession, and we'll play. So here's one of them. The first one is this. See every hard conversation as a gospel opportunity. Don't go in thinking about yourself or your schedule or your ego. Go in thinking this is a chance for the gospel to shine and I'm going to have the courage to lean in. It will totally change the way that you approach saying the hard thing or the hard conversation. Here's a second one. Don't say the hard thing by text or email. In the life of our church, If you have something positive to say, text that bad boy. And they even have emojis now, so you can just fire it up. If you have something neutral to say, put it on Slack, text it, email it, totally fine. If you have something hard to say, don't ever text it or Slack it or email it. It's a lack of love for the person. They're receiving it. They can't see your facial expression, hear the intonation of your voice follow up with you. If you have something hard to say, don't shrink back, but don't just blast it. 
because it's easy for you. Create some space to say the hard thing. And then last one, uh, use helpful phrases. So sometimes, it's the rare exception, you can just come in blasting. So sometimes as a pastor, I say, time out, listen to me. And then I just drop some gospel truth. Sometimes that's necessary. Most of the time with these conversations, that's not the best approach. Learn to say things like, talk to me about dot, dot, dot. Or help me understand dot, dot, dot. Or let's sit down, and I know this is going to be hard, but I want to hear from you on dot, dot, dot. Do you see what just opened up right there? I'm listening, I'm going to bring some hard things into this conversation, but I love you, and I value you, and you mean something to me, and I am not just blasting you in one direction. We are going to say and hear the hard thing together, and we're inviting the Spirit into this space so that there might be help. I know a lot of you hear this and go, or I could just go to another church where nobody knows anybody. And everybody just rolls in and hears a good sermon and sings a couple of songs and takes off for lunch right away. Okay? But that's not gospel living. That's not New Testament church life. And there actually is no deep joy there. There's no gospel transformation there. Real change, real trust is built in a church that says, we did not shrink back from saying the hard thing. We leaned into those conversations in love. I am not saying that we're going to be on a daily rhythm now of everyone's responsible to call someone and say something hard. No. But in the next 90 days, if there's a conversation that you would prefer to shrink back from, but you and they would be served from leaning into, I want to encourage you, free you, call you to love that deeply by saying and hearing the hard thing. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, you know we're going after you with all that we've got. It is terrifying, but also magnetic to think about being a gospel-centered church. We want the name of Christ to be the most famous name in Melrose, in Stoneham, in Wakefield, in Saugus, in Boston. We know that that will only happen if there's a community that has embodied the cross of Christ, the way of Christ. So I pray that you would help us to love each other even down to saying and receiving the hard thing and that in that space, the gospel would shine super bright. Forgive us for our cowardice, heal us from our wounds and steal our backs to love each other in this way. I pray that you would do it. Amen.